You're listening to Get Informed America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist and joining me is the smartest man I know, also the editor of InformedAmerican.com. A, a, a really, he knows every topic to, known to man and can flesh it out uh, <laughs> into multiple paragraphs and pages. Uh, yes, that's why he is the smartest man I know, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Without further ado, how are you today? I'm good, although with that injury, I might as well just go home now. I think I'm at the top of my game already. <laughs> You're good, yeah. There's no, nowhere to go but down. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Rodney, we, have to, we, we always have a bunch of stuff that, that's out there in the world, but we've kind of crammed things into two main topics, and then we have a couple of side things. So let's get to the first main topic, Rodney, which is the Supreme Court weighs whether the Electoral College members must stick to the popular vote. And this goes to faithless electors, those, those jerks who... <laughs> Buck the system and vote their own way, and so this is right now. This case is before the Supreme Court. Now uh, we've seen, we saw some of this in the 2016 election, where where some uh, some electors, some state electors, they took a real principled stand against Donald Trump. They just could not, in good conscience, vote for the man. And then we also had someone else voting for Frodo Baggins. So it, it does. It does. It's a wide gamut there. Uh, but beyond this case here, you see some larger implications to, to the outcome of what the Supreme Court decides, Bonnie, don't you? I do. And so you have to start with what happened in 2016. They were actually, um, the, the way it typically goes is uh, the electors to the Electoral College are appointed by the state legislature. Yeah. And they cast a ballot for whoever won the popular vote in their state. Very important. In their state. There are only a couple of states that allow for partial electoral votes where some can go for this or that. Mm-hmm. And so in 2016, a number of uh, electors that should have been voting for Hillary Clinton, given what happened in their state, said, wait a second, that Trump had won, right? Clearly looking at the map, he had won. And so what they said was, look, we know a Republican's going to be the president, let's make it a different Republican than Donald Trump. And so they cast ballots for other Republicans. Kind of weird. But they were called faithless because they didn't vote the way their state had gone. Yeah. And so a couple of states, one of them voted to remove the elector. The other one voted to find the elector. And the elector said, wait a second, you can't do that. We're appointed. We're appointed to cast a ballot as we see fit. Yeah. Now, if I could jump in here, Ronnie, just for a sec, not to sure. not to totally disrupt your flow, but if you go back, there was a massive push. If if you recall, this wasn't just a couple of people. Uh, well, I mean, it ended up not being a, a huge number of, of electors 10, that did yeah. this, but there was a. This was like the. I don't want to call it. Uh, this was our. Fi- this was our last chance to stop <laughs> President Trump right. from from gaining office. And if we could get enough people, I mean, you know, there was time after time with with Trump, and he just kept rolling and rolling. But this one really was, you know, who's can we can we get enough? You know, them see stories in the media. Could there be enough electors that can prevent Trump from? You know, and and some of the, this actually was a real thing. It wasn't. It wasn't that it ended up. You know, entirely being minor, but this got a lot of attention at the time. It did, and and so you got to you know keep the pieces in in mind here, which is yeah. the states have rules that say the electors are supposed to cast a ballot that matches the popular vote in the state. Yeah, and the argument is they didn't. And so can they vote however they see fit once they're, you know, appointed an elector or do they have to follow the rules of the state? This is very important because 
you got to, you know, kind of keep the, the pieces flowing here. There is a movement out there, the National Compact or some such name, that says, look, we, the people who pass this law in each state, want mm -hmm. our state electors to cast their ballot for whoever wins the popular vote across the nation, not just our state, but across the nation. Right. And so what that would mean is if you have a state that is, you know, it, it doesn't matter what it is, whether the vote is very close or is lopsided one way or the other, if the vote in that state goes for the person who lost the national vote, the national popular vote, then the electors have to vote for the person who won anyway. And that would have put Hillary Clinton in office in 2016. It would have put George Bush in office in 2000. And I'm sorry, it would have put Al Gore in office in 2000. Mm -hmm. And so people are looking at this and saying, wait a second, you're taking power away from the small states. And this is the exact power they were given in the Constitution is to have an outsized effect because they are a state. They are a sovereign entity that joined up with this big group to be called the United States. And for that, they were given this power that allows them to have some control in Congress as well as the, the national election. Now, keep bear in mind, though, what the people doing the national compact thing are saying is, no, 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 we're still giving the power to the states. But the state is saying we've passed a law that if it, that our electors have to follow the national popular vote. Mm -hmm. And so they're basically doing an end run around the Electoral College. And it is constitutional. That, that's what's on the table here. If the Supreme Court justices decide, hey, you electors, you have to do whatever your state says you have to do because that's the state's business, then states passing this national compact, they've done it. They've set the bar for their electors and there's nothing anybody else can say about it. Why voters in those states would allow that to happen? I have no idea, but this is moving power to the major population centers in the United States because they're going to have the most sway, of course, in a popular election. Now, we, I want to, I want to get, I want to go through that a little bit more, but let's just talk for a second, Rodney, about this idea. This is a bit of an archaic system, isn't it? What we do, not, not the electoral college itself, but the way we actually do this. Um, and it, it almost reminded me that maybe a more recent, recent example of the way some of these things are written in the constitution. There was a, we go back to impeachment, which feels like a lifetime ago, but it was only a few months ago. Uh, the house passed uh, the articles of impeachment. However, the Senate couldn't begin, and there was, I don't know, about a three-week delay on this. The Senate couldn't begin until Nancy Pelosi or whomever she appointed actually walks the papers to the Senate, right? Right, delivered the articles to the Senate. Right, which we, you assume this is just a formality, right? But there are things written into our Constitution that aren't formalities, but they are archaic because now we... I'm, it's not like the... In other words, the framers weren't like, well, they, have, they must travel from their state because... Or they, they have to, you know, of course you have to deliver a piece of paper. Now we don't, we don't need a piece of paper, right? So it's like, do we even need these people to, to go in and vote, I guess, is sort of my question. At this point, it, it's a silly formality that now we would get the, the, the faithless, faithless electors at all. I mean, shouldn't it just be the state does one thing and then uh, just goes immediately to the national tally? I mean, I, it, do you agree with that or do you like the process here? <laughs> so, so that's a whole different conversation, right? But I'm just, uh, but, but it, it, not really though, because we're dealing with this, this, this bit of, of, of sort of ancient history in a sense. I mean, only 200 years old, but it has a real consequence now because what these people actually decide in their hearts isn't really doesn't seem like that's what was intended. It was just for them to carry out to travel to Washington to carry out the vote of their state. No, absolutely not, absolutely okay. not. 
the the founding fathers did not believe the average person had the ability to make decisions on how to run the nation. Well, they still it, don't. <laughs> and this is clear in the Federalist Papers, the 175 articles essentially written under uh, pseudonyms by you know John Jay and Madison and Hamilton, I believe, uh, to convince the people of New York essentially to pass uh, the Constitution. And so if you read those Federalist Papers, it gives us the best look by people who framed the nation as to what they were thinking about these documents. Because the documents themselves, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, they're not that long. But the Federalist Papers, it's like a series of essays by the very people who wrote it who kind of tell you what was on their mind. And when they talk about the Electoral College, they say, look, we want you, and it's the same in running the national government. It's, it's why we have representatives and senators, instead of having just an electronic inbox to count a popular you know, vote on what we think should happen on every law. We don't do that. We are a representative republic where we send people up there to make decisions on our behalf, which by definition means we're giving them the ability to make a decision. We're not telling them to just do exactly what we tell them. That's no decision at all. And the Electoral College is the same way. It was specifically meant to send people to this place to vote in a way they believed was best for the nation. We were giving them decision-making ability. Now, you can argue, and, and of course you would, right, that back in the late 1700s, information didn't flow that well. There were a lot of people around who didn't see a newspaper all that often. They were out working their farm, away from right. these, whatever. And so being representative made all the sense in the world. You're like, look, I'm not up on these things every day. I'm going to send somebody up there who can be involved and kind of get it. Right. We appoint today, someone who kind of follows this stuff and then they'll at least right. listen to what we say and then decide or something. Right. Yeah. But today, you know, it, are we all educated? No, of course not. Different levels of information on all sorts of different things, right? But if you wanted to, you could find this information at your fingertips on your phone and figure it out. Yeah. But the point remains the documents were written to send somebody to make a decision on your behalf. If you want to change that document, there is a way to do it. And it's called an amendment. And it's really big and really hard. Uh, and we haven't chosen to do that in these respects where we still send people who are, by definition, allowed to make a decision based on what they think is best once they get there. Gotcha. Okay. So now moving to this case now, it, your argument so far has been that, uh, okay, so if, if we, if we, do not allow faithless electors. This could increase the chances of, uh, of right. this national popular vote compact. So you would be, if, if whether, however you fall down that, that way, you would say, if you don't like the national uh, popular vote compact, you prefer the Supreme Court to, to weigh, to allow faithless electors in this case. Well, I'm saying that the way the Constitution is written, states get to choose their electors however they see fit. And I think that's the way it should be. States should get to decide how, you know, they, they choose their electors. Okay. If the state says, our electors have to pledge under penalty of removal or fine or whatever that they will vote according to these things. That's every state's decision. And I'm good with states having that decision. I may not like the decision of the National Compact. I, I'm not sure that that makes a lot of sense that we're saying, hey, you know, just throw away what everybody in our state said and move the votes to whatever the national, you know, popular vote said. I, I think that's a horrible idea. But yeah. am I, the person to tell New Hampshire or, you know, Wisconsin what to do? 
Uh, that they get to choose. I mean, I like their choice, but they get to choose. Yeah, it is odd to say, here's my state representative to, to cast the vote for my state. However, that <laughs> that vote is, is no is not valid by any means. We're going by some other some other count. Now, I do want to push back, though, on you, Rodney. There, there are two arguments against this of whether or not uh, the National Popular Vote Compact would be constitutional. The first one is that there's a, is it because we, we can all find information at our fingertips, as you said, I, I became a legal, legal scholar overnight. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> The compact clause of Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution says that no state will, without consent of Congress, enter into any agreement or compact with another state. Uh, this would seem to fill that. Of course, there are arguments on both sides. Although I, I would just say it doesn't even have to be a compact. You just Every state decides on my own, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, so maybe that, that's a way around. And the other argument, Rodney, so, and I'll hand it off to you because we I hand it off to you quickly after this. It says, the, should the power to appoint electors and set election law be absolute? Uh, and, and it seems that your argument is, is yes, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. And one of the examples given here, so what if a state decided I'm going to sell my electors to the highest bidder? Uh, would, would, now, that may be legal, but it's only legal until the Supreme Court says it isn't. So I, I would wonder, I would, in other words, I guess what I'm saying here is this would not go, this would not survive without challenges and perhaps having the Supreme Court weigh in on it. It, it, of course, is going to be challenged, but I, I often fall to the lowest level of governance is the best level of governance for mm -hmm. any decision. And I'm, it, the Constitution is clear. Any power not, you know, here enumerated remains with the states. I mean, it's really clear. And so if the state says they want to sell it, they can sell it. Now, I, who would allow their state legislature to do that? All this is based on state legislators making these choices. Uh, which, of course, flies in the face of, you know, common sense and what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so you can set up the hypotheticals. Judges are not supposed to render decisions on hypotheticals. They're supposed to render decisions on the laws in front of them and how they're enforced. And so I, I think that those challenges would fall very quickly because with most laws, you can find something that is, you know, outside the norm of what's going to happen and say, what if? So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this is a, this is an ever evolving case and one that could have major implications on electoral politics over, I mean, forever, essentially. So we will keep, uh, we will keep update. Sorry, we'll keep updating all of you on this. And Rodney, I can't wait to argue with you about this maybe some months down the road. Sure. <laughs> let's, let's move on to our next topic, Rodney. The House is set to vote on a $3 trillion relief package. I believe a vote is coming today. And uh, this just some highlights out, out of this before I get your take, Rodney. Is we're going to go back to this $1,200 per uh, person cutting the check, and that goes up to $6,000 per family. We're going to get unemployment benefits extended uh, to January uh, 2021. So I believe they were set to expire in July. So extending that through the end of the year. Now, a couple other things in this, there's a $1 trillion package for state and local governments, just massive. So I guess if you kind of do the rough math there, last time we were at $2 trillion, now this time you, you kind of do the same thing and tack on another trillion for state and locals. Also, a huge thing, the repeal of the SALT cap, that $10,000 deduction of state and local taxes. And uh, some other thing here that you and I actually agree on, well, I think you agree on, is uh, allowing cannabis businesses to access banks. That's been a problem for a while. And the last thing, $25 billion to uh, bail out the Postal Service. What do you think of this bill on the coming to the House floor that may get a vote today and be he heading to the Senate? I, I think we're, we're now reaching down and we're trying to support things that were failing before this ever started. Uh -huh. Postal Service has run a deficit for quite some time. Yeah. A lot of it based on their pensions, uh, which need to be reformed, but they won't do it. Uh, and, and on the flip side of that, it's a 
government-sponsored agency weirdness. It is private, but they can't raise prices without Congress agreeing, and Congress doesn't agree, so they run this deficit, so they get a general fund bail. That's kind of stupid, right? Yeah. And a lot of states have been in pension trouble for a long time, really since about 2005. And they don't reform. I, there's a lot of literature that I can point to about states that have certainly built rainy day funds and done many other things since 2009 to put themselves in a better position. It's true. Not all of them. Illinois is, of course, in a terrible position. Mm -hmm. But what almost none of them have done is, is reform their pensions because it involves making difficult choices with their workers. And a lot of them just won't. They just won't until they are forced to do so. And so with this next bill, we're reaching down to say, here are all these people that were struggling to begin with. Now let's find a way to shore them up with national money. I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, the next round of, of stimulus checks, I didn't like the first round, not because we didn't need to send it or provide some support, but it came too early. You sent it to people when you were they're still in lockup. If the whole point was to stimulate the economy once it reopened, Send the dumb check in mid-June. Don't send yeah. it in late April when people are going to spend it on Amazon. Uh, they were already making a lot of money. Uh, and so the unemployment is, is the biggest one. I saved it for last. Yeah. Unemployment, uh, the benefits, the $600 a, a week bonus goes through July 31st. And you might ask, why is it $600? And the answer is so stunningly simple as to make you cry that – what the, the Congress wanted to do was to bring people up to the level of uh, income they had before this, right? Yeah. And so if you made 380 or $600 a week, then they wanted to get you up there. But their computer systems are so bad in unemployment offices around the nation that they're run on computer systems from the 50s and 60s. They run yeah. on Fortran and C+. And so they couldn't figure out what a person made. They just couldn't. So they said, well, what's the average? Well, the average for unemployment benefits is about 380 bucks, and the average worker was making about $40,000. And so we'll kind of meet it there and put 600 on top of 380 to get you near 1000 bucks, and say, boy, did we do a good job. What they did is they made, they made it so that people who make less than that, and significantly less than that, so call it 28, 30,000 bucks a year, are now in a bind if they go back to work because they're making so much extra money. And I don't say this to be pejorative. I'm not saying these people are bad or lazy or don't want to work or want to scam the system. I'm saying if you're barely getting by, just barely getting by, and somebody offers you an extra $300 a week for two and a half months, are you going to say no? Just imagine what that does for your family. And so they've put them in such an untenable position for the people that really want to work. And then you add on the people who don't. And so we have a lot of people who are having to make the decision of, hey, don't call me back. I am not interested in that. It's a <laughs> terrible way to do it. Now, this isn't right. It's supposed to be if a job's available for you, you take the job, you don't take unemployment. Yeah. You can imagine we're not really enforcing that right now. And so it's just a, it's a colossal mess. And to put this in, in the um, bill of, hey, we're just going to go through uh, December or there's even some industries where they're going to make it through March of next year. You're just asking for unemployment to be 15, 20% for longer. It's, it's a horrible idea to do it that way. Uh, yeah, I cried for about 30 seconds while you're going through that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had a response to this, to this bill. He says it's an 1,800-page seasonal catalog of left-wing oddities. And he says it includes a massive tax code giveaway to high earners in blue states. I believe he's refer referring to the SALT deduction, which uh, I, I, it's something like 
the, the, it goes to, to the uh, the bottom. Let's see. Hold on. I actually have a quote here. The top one percent of households will receive fifty percent of the fifty six percent of the benefit of repeal. Top five percent of the households will receive over eighty percent of the of the benefit. While the bottom eighty percent of households will receive just four percent. This comes from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. So I was curious. You know how how did that actually break down? Uh, McConnell continues. It would print another round of checks specifically for illegal immigrants. That was not in my highlight. And then McConnell says the the word cannabis is in the bill sixty eight times. Times more times than the word job, and four times more than the than the word hire. Uh, so, think it doesn't seem like McConnell is too keen on pass, passing this bill. Uh, but it seems like they will pass some version of, of oh, yeah. uh, what the House is yeah. sending them, right? There's no question they're going to pass something because yeah. this is this is chess, right? We're 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 talking a little bit of checkers here on the actual bill itself and the little things in it. But this yeah. is a chess game, and Nancy Pelosi wants money for states, and she's going to get it. She needs money for pensions. She's going to get it. And the way she's going to do it is by holding McConnell and Republicans hostage over getting rid of liability for COVID infections like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Yeah, which he needs because he needs to support the businesses. And so all of this is happening while something really big is looming in the background that we don't talk about much. There's an election coming in just a few months. Which side wants to be the one that says, I held up more relief for American workers. Who, who wants to do that? They will come to a decision, and it's all about what you look like coming into October just ahead of the election. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, this is where the real brinkmanship comes into play, Rodney. So we- with your money. Brinkmanship <laughs> yeah, with your money, remember? I love, I love being the pawn in this game. No, not really. <laughs> right, let's talk about some stupid things we saw in the internet and the news. And we typically, we, we, we the last couple of times we've been talking about elite hypocrisy. This is more elite stupidity. Uh, this one this come, comes from a tweet from Ron Fournier, uh, a noted author, award-winning author, journalist, writer for The Atlantic. He was part of the Kennedy Center. So uh, a guy's been writing about politics and stuff for a long time. He says, mark this day, this is on April 20th, because two and three weeks from now, the Georgia death Death toll is blood on its hands, and as Georgians move around the country, they'll spread more death and economic destruction. This was in response to uh, Governor, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp opening up the state. And uh, so two or three weeks, and so people on Twitter started reminding him that, hey, uh, yeah, we're, we're here now. All clean. All clean. <laughs> yeah. And what happened? Uh, Jordan deaths are trending down. And so he got absolutely destroyed, wrecked on Twitter. And his response was, because uh, he's you know, in there, he's saying, I'm, I'm always willing to admit I'm wrong, but not in this case. He says, keep it up. Check back in three more weeks. Keep <laughs> keep proving me wrong, because it's all about owning the libs. God bless him. Good luck. So somebody's definitely got egg on his face here. All this death and destruction from reopening the economy just did not occur Rodney surprisingly <laughs> I'm right there with you and, and okay. but it's something that you know I wrote about in March and you and I have talked about as we get into April flus tend to trend lower anyway and we took some pretty extraordinary measures here to lower the trend of infection and deaths in the US fully expect uh, infections to go up some with reopening and people getting back together but we can't forget the calendar and so we have people more outside warm weather and humid weather makes it harder for viruses to survive yeah we have more people with vitamin d just all sorts of ancillary and not really anecdotal things but you know things that aren't totally proven but seem to go with viruses reducing in the summer months and so all of that is coming as we're reopening so i would expect this the question is what happens when you get to the fall and I don't know the answer to that, but we'll see.
Now, there seems to be a popular way of a push to, to get this thing reopened. We got Elon Musk fighting with the state of California and his county and the governor saying, arrest me. I'm opening up my plant and I may even move my headquarters out of state. Meanwhile, in Michigan, we have an armed militia opening up a, <laughs> opening up a barber shop. Uh, that Michigan responded by revoking his license. So we'll see where that goes. And then we had a ruling uh, uh, by the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court that reversed ended the lockdown that the governor put down. So a lot going on out there, Rodney, trying, people trying to force their way to reopen the economy right because business owners are saying look i gotta work right I, I have a business i have clients who want to use my business the barber is a great example he has people driving from a couple of hours away they revoked his license and he said go ahead i've been cutting hair i want to say for <laughs> 60 years i'm gonna keep doing it or maybe for you <laughs> cut the hair <laughs> and, and so he's still cutting hair kind of daring them to send somebody over to shut him down because what a political or rather a, a PR nightmare that would be. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. Rodney, thank you so much for joining me this week as you do each and every week to giving to give everyone your insights on uh, the major topics at hand. I want all of you watching to become informed Americans by subscribing to this channel. And if you like this video, please hit the like button and head over to our, our, our site informedamerican.com. And Rodney, while they're over there, what can they find themselves? Uh, some stories popping up over the weekend and uh, through the beginning of next week well i mean we had some economic numbers come out that point to the fact that things are pretty tough out there retail sales were down i want to say like 16 percent over last month down 20 percent mm -hmm. over last year and so that bleeds over into the reopening or not and the or not is the big question right because just because you open a business doesn't mean you're going to get a lot of customers back particularly in the restaurant space and other things that rely on density for revenue and profit. And so I think what we're going to be seeing over the next week is a lot of stories of what did happen when we reopened and what didn't. Absolutely. Thank you all for watching. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America, brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.